Alright, and welcome to another episode of Tape Heads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Tape Heads is the podcast where we select a VHS tape from either my collection or Lindsay's collection. We watch it, and then we talk about it. Lindsay, happy Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to you too, Sean. Nothing like watching a 90s rom-com on <laughs> February 14th. Keeping it romantic. Although we didn't technically watch it on February 14th. <laughs> I also was thinking, this was a tape that you picked from my collection. So you did a kind of cross-collections If we're being full disclosure, the mask was from my collection. I guess so. I guess so. There's but it was also of... one that I grew up with. This is the first time you've ever seen Pretty Woman, right? That's true. There's precedent for it. I'll just say that. Since when? Since now. (laughs) Uh, But before we get too deep into rom-coms, including today's episode, I want to uh, cycle back to the subject of comedy sequels. Oh, right. Uh, We need to make a correction. Well, not so much a correction as a... you know, we put put the feelers out there. Could anyone think of a good comedy sequel? And uh, our number one fan, my cousin Paul, (laughs) uh, pointed out one that I think fits the bill. Adam's Family Values. Yes. And that's definitely a comedy. Like, it's a horror comedy, but it's very much a comedy. Yeah, it's a comedy first and foremost. And I think that it does do what an effective sequel does in sort of introducing some new characters taking the characters that you knew and loved from the first one and giving them new things to do, sending them to summer Mm -hmm. camp, putting them in different situations. But staying true to the original feel of it. Yeah. Bringing the cast back. Um, And I had also thought of Wayne's World 2. I think that's a comedy that... I say yeah, but I actually haven't seen Wayne's World or Wayne's oh, World Oh my too. god. So you're just <laughs> blindly agreeing with me. Well, I've heard it's good. It is good. And it has Christopher Walken in it, the second one. Oh, really? Which ultimately, <laughs> immediately makes it worth your time. Well, now I'm intrigued. So this episode, we are watching Pretty Woman, the 1990 smash hit starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. It's kind of in that vein of makeover movies that were happening in the 80s and 90s, too. Of uh, I think of Working Girl a little bit when I see this. And totally. I definitely think, although this isn't a 90s movie, this is a 2000s movie, but I definitely think of The Princess Diaries, which is by the same director. Yeah, also a Gary Marshall film. Mm-hmm. Definitely in that makeover movie trend. Also kind of a fish-out-of-water story, because uh, Julia Roberts' character Vivian, who is a prostitute, sort of from the wrong side of the tracks, and Edward, Richard Gere's character, who's um, kind of this smarmy, rich playboy. Yeah, his first car was a limousine, he says in the film. This kind of establishes how privileged he is. And she's more from maybe working class stock. Like she just, she knows how to survive and kind of get out and protect herself and her friends. This has a very interesting backstory, this movie, and and how it came to be the movie that we know and many love. Uh, (laughs) I wonder if that's a reveal. (laughs) (laughs) No, 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 no. I, 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 I... 
Well, we'll get to that later. So this originally started as a much darker movie, you're telling me, Lindsay. Yeah, this is according to what I read on IMDb trivia, which we all know, take with a grain of salt. I did additional research, and it definitely holds up. Yeah, I mean, it seems like a lot of this was coming from different commentary and articles and interviews that that have come out since the making of this film. And essentially... It was supposed to be a really dark film. They'd even considered Werner Herzog to direct. Can you imagine (laughs) Werner Herzog's Pretty Woman? (laughs) I mean, like, the difference between him and Gary Marshall could not be more extreme. Yeah. And the tale that they would have told. But they also considered a lot of other actresses. Molly Ringwald, um, who would have brought that kind of sweetness to the to the role but they also had talked to daryl hannah i think a lot of these actresses just didn't want to play a prostitute yeah i think some who had been known for more risque parts were wanting to kind of move away from that and then they had some people come in who wanted to be in it like jodie foster who they had to say sorry you're too young which that would have been a little bit disturbing like Demi Moore was approached to play the friend, although she declined. Well, she did Ghost the same year, which was an even bigger hit. She didn't need to play the friend. Yeah, exactly. And I think that the original script is also much more explicit. The Mm -hmm. sex in this is very tame, I would say, and very much left to your imagination. And there's no nudity. Yeah, I guess so. There's a lot of bare backs, and you can see the curve of some breasts but they do hide it yeah but it's not like basic instinct it's or something it's tasteful it's tasteful from what i read from the original script which is originally called three thousand as in three thousand dollars which is what richard gear pays her to spend the week with him it seems like it would have been a much darker more adult movie probably maybe a bit more of a drama well, in it's a kind lot of, of ways interesting because julia roberts plays this soft sweet character who's kind of jaded but she doesn't seem to be the kind of person that you would think lives in that world she doesn't seem to be scarred emotionally in any way she's not like she's not really struggling she's just kind of like confident and out there like some of the things that they cut from it supposedly her character was supposed to have a drug problem and they they address drugs a little bit in this film in that her friend uses drugs in the originally apparently they were deciding that Julie Roberts's character would have gone clean after find, finding out that her best friend died of an overdose that sort of thing like it was definitely a lot more extreme the one thing that i can't get over is apparently they there had been plans to have martial arts scenes and Steven Seagal was approached to play the lead Wow, you're throwing a lot at me. Werner Herzog, Steven Seagal, her friend dies. This would have been a totally different movie. Supposedly wrote out all of the martial arts scenes, and then he was like, well, I'm out of here. This isn't a movie for me. And, you know, you hear a lot about these, especially from this era, these movies that went on to be big hits that went through this crazy development process where they basically turned into entirely different movies i mean for this one they completely sanitized it is what it sounds like and there had been pushback because it's a touchstone pictures film and apparently there had been some pushback from disney who owns touchstone to make this a softer nicer more upbeat film which is interesting to have an upbeat film about someone who's in prostitution yeah, my thought was that this feels like a disney version of 
the sex trade and that's sex work is. and that's what it literally is it it's literally a, is it's disney took a very adult script and sanitized it for mass appeal because isn't it so funny that she sells herself and has to hide out and climb out her window because she can't go by the men in her apartment building well also i mean the reason she does that is because her roommate who is also a prostitute has spent their rent money on coke we learn well we assume it's coke we just know that it's drugs yeah even the way that drugs are handled you're right it's very vague and very like it's not really a problem for anybody it's just sort of that bad thing that Richard Gere doesn't want happening in his penthouse bathroom. Well, and the other thing is, it took us re-watching it for me to realize that they, really early in the film, when you're getting, were you just getting to know Julia Roberts' character, Vivian, you overhear a police officer talking about another prostitute who had been apparently pulled out of a dumpster. And then the character is later making an offhand comment in the bar, Julia Roberts and her friend Kit, played by Laura San Giacomo, which you guys might know from Spin City. That's what I know her from. They're kind of talking. Kit makes this offhand comment after saying that she bought drugs herself about how that girl just got herself killed because she was a crackhead, I think she calls her. So it's kind of like... You're judging her for using crack, but you spent your rent money, or really someone else's rent money, on drugs. Yeah. Which is kind of a weird confusion of the film, because it's like they're distancing Kit from this to hold her above it, because she doesn't even look like she's on drugs, even though presumably she was taking them at a party earlier, according to dialogue. Like, it's really weird there are a lot of things sort of written into dialogue to kind of jump through the hoops and explain how these characters can exist because they're two attractive women with perfect teeth who (laughs) don't really feel like they should be there and in the case and particularly in the case of vivian she reveals through dialogue to richard Gere at one point that the whole reason she got into prostitution was kind of just because she sort of needed money and she was seeing this guy and she kind of just fell into it. Whereas I feel like in real life, falling into sex trade is out of desperation or it's not your choice because you're being strong-armed by a pimp. And in this Or case, you've been like kidnapped and sold into it. Like there are all these different things that happen or you're a victim of abuse. Like there's so many different complications that can lead to that situation that they just kind of skated around. Exactly. And also the whole idea that they don't have pimps. There's yeah, dialogue. Yeah, these two girls. Yeah. yeah. To kind of cite, you don't even really see a pimp in this movie, which is so interesting for a movie focusing on prostitution. Because there's even dialogue in the film where they talk about how they don't want pimps to boss them around and take all their money but well, it the starts same... with kit saying maybe we should have a pimp because it'd make it easier for us and then vivian uh talks back and says no we need to remain in control we decide how much we decide who and i think that's where they're kind of establishing i think a little bit why these two women are more okay in this situation because somehow they've managed to define themselves, their place, and their power, which is something that I don't think is typical to that trade. And it's interesting that they've kind of created that situation to make it so that you're not disturbed by it or worried for them in a way. 
And I think it's, I think part of it too is, I think part of how they're, why they do it this way too is so that you don't hate Richard Gere for being a John. Yeah, it's a very delicate house of cards that they've built for you to like these characters, particularly Richard Gere. Which Richard Gere, blandest performance (laughs) ever. I will have to say that I've never really been a Richard Gere fan. I think that it's kind of like... The way my dad at least used to feel about Tom Cruise is sort of the way that I feel about Richard Gere in that I don't necessarily hate him. I just look at every single movie that he's been in and kind of feel like it would have been improved if someone else is playing his part. I mean, you mentioned Working Girl earlier. And in that film, Harrison Ford plays kind of a similar character. Yeah. You know, kind of the reluctant, rich, suave guy who has serious reservations with the world that he's in, but is kind of taking it in stride. Mm-hmm. And I think of his role in that, which is a much more complicated, more nuanced character with more humor and life. And I just can't help but think, like, what would this movie be like with Harrison Ford in this role? Better. <laughs> I, or I could think of any number of characters. He's just the one that came to to mind first there's other actors that were really popular at this time that i think might have worked a little bit better i mean michael douglas is just coming off wall street which oh, is oh he would have been pretty good with this yeah. yeah and and hell if we're talking wall street i think even charlie sheen would have worked pretty well in this role i mean in his pre-meltdown well we're talking major league era to, uh charlie sheen i guess it's kind of hard because it's it's like how i view mel gibson now it just kind of colors everything yeah but i just to illustrate the point that i mean i would almost say richard Gere is miscast but this yeah. is going to sound harsh i kind of feel he's miscast in everything that he's in Aww. with the exception of i will i will give him one thing i will say he's a delight in chicago so Two highlights of people that were considered for Edward. John Travolta auditioned for that role. Interesting. Which, imagine this movie with John Travolta. And his career was kind of in a slump at this time. It was before Pulp Fiction revived him. It would have been great for him. And I feel like he would have been kind of sweet. Doesn't quite work. But the one that I would have loved to see is Dennis Quaid. Perfect casting. That's my favorite one. Yeah. That would have made this a classic. Was he actually in consideration for it? Yes. Again, like, I feel like the difference between a potential, like, Dennis Quaid or Harrison Ford in this role versus Richard Gere is Dennis Quaid in particular sort of has this, I mean, look at his role in The Parent Trap, for example, (laughs) where he, you know, he owns a vineyard. He's clearly a man of means, but he has this worldliness and this kind of you know, sardonic edge that kind of tells you like, hey, I don't subscribe to all the trappings of this lifestyle. I think, and he also, but he also has that kind of pretty, pretty boy look to pull off being the rich man, right? That I think somehow doesn't fit for John Travolta for me. Interestingly, not only did John Travolta audition and not get it, but apparently Uma Thurman did as well. So we got a Pulp Fiction duo trying for to For Vivian? Movie. Audition for Vivian, yeah. I could see her in the darker version of this film. I, I have to say, like, as much as I'm not excited about Richard Gere in this, 
Julia Roberts was pitch perfect in this role. Oh, yeah. Julia Roberts, for all my reservations about her character and how I think that it's a very unlikely character, I think that she's great in it. And I totally understand how this catapulted her to stardom. Yeah. I mean, and it's in high contrast to Gear, who's fairly flat and kind of unemotional through a lot of it, whereas she's just so dynamic and engaging you know we are talking about the sanitization of of this movie and it's at the hands of touchstone and i think that's a perfect segue to think about how crazy it is that we started this tape with one of those classic montage advertisements yeah where i mean it's the usual thing where it's like get these movies on vhs for 1999 and before this movie about a hooker who is paid $3,000 to spend a week with Richard Gere. We see ads for Who's Framing Roger Rabbit, Ernest Goes to Camp, Turner and Hooch, and other similar movies. So, like, I mean, it's a family film. It's a family film, guys. And the back of the box for this tape doesn't even mention that she's a prostitute. It no, pitches it more as if, hey, this she's from she's this wild child. Can she be tamed by this Prince Charming Richard Gere? Ew. But that's kind of what this movie is, right? Like, it's the taming of her with his money. And I hate to say it like that. It's really kind of, you know, because it's a makeover movie, you see her being upgraded or leveled up over the course of the film where she goes from, like, this charismatic, beautiful woman to this high class, like, you can take her everywhere, beautiful woman, and you don't need to worry about her embarrassing you kind of thing she won't cause you a scene when you take her to the san francisco opera yeah on your private jet so that's one of the things that troubles me about this movie and it's something that i would miss when i was younger like i didn't really understand the message of it it's that that you kind of have to transform yourself and change who you are to be someone of value i i get where it's coming from and that you know i mean she probably shouldn't work in prostitution forever that's probably not great for her yeah but at the same time it's still kind of a troubling trend that you're seeing across multiple movies where these women have to completely transform themselves to to be worthy of being long-term partners for these men i feel like a diehard fan of this film would argue that richard Gere changes as well there's this tiny tiny little subplot about how he's going basically what the reason he's rich he and his lawyer jason alexander george from seinfeld who's awful well he's good in the role but he's an evil character he's so good in this role that i feel disgusted the moment he walks on screen if george had confidence he would be this person (laughs) yeah and it's interesting because i absolutely hate him in this movie but i don't confuse it with who he is in seinfeld because he has such a different how he holds himself is entirely different which i think speaks well to how he is as an actor and his skill as an actor that i can completely feel this disgust at his face in this yeah I definitely agree. What they basically do, Richard Gere and Jason Alexander, is they buy these struggling companies, break them up into smaller companies, and sell them at a profit. And this tiny little subplot, he is faced with this family company that he's going to uh, buy up. It's like 
building ships for the Navy or something. Yeah, they do, like, they have contracts with the U.S. government. We're stuff. given no reason to care about this this guy and his son who have the company, and yet at the He's end of the movie... He's an elderly guy that's really nice to Julia Roberts. Yeah, kind of. I think <laughs> that's what they're trying to do. It's, it feels like a studio note on, like, the 12th draft of this script... At the end of the movie, like, sort of his redemption is that he refuses to buy up the company. He wants to make ships with this old man. And uh, apparently he somehow got that lesson from Julia Roberts, who doesn't really have a whole lot to say about what yeah. he does for a living. Like, she's fairly non-judgmental about what he does. Um, but I guess just being in her presence sort of coaxes him into wanting to better himself and be a better person. He goes from a cold-hearted businessman to a warm-hearted businessman-ish. Which I feel like, if her arc is a little dubious, like, injecting money it makes her a better person, then... His is even more dubious, I sort of feel like, because it kind of seems like he's just so rich that there are never really any stakes for him. So these decisions that he makes, I mean, they affect yeah. other people, definitely, but it's kind of like the difference for this man is he gets to keep his legacy. It's not like he's really facing any serious... Yeah, no. and it's interesting for Gira's character because it just feels like he's already at his like near top level he doesn't he doesn't need an upgrade like he doesn't he doesn't really need to improve he's just about perfect already which i guess they wanted to do to make him a sort of escapist fantasy for female viewers it kind of lowers the stakes too because she's really the main character like he gets oh, top yeah. billing but she this movie is about her she is the pretty woman Oh, I thought Jason Alexander was the pretty woman. You know, it's just funny also because I, at the end of the movie, I still don't fully understand Richard Gere's character. I mean, he's the kind of guy who is staying in the penthouse of this really swanky hotel, thinks nothing of bringing in a prostitute up to his room. Thinks nothing of having a prostitute get into his car from the street and then letting him, well, it's not his car, it's Jason Alexander's car that he borrowed, and then letting her drive the car and stuff, and he doesn't know her from Adam. Yeah, and it's it's unclear if, like, he's slept with prostitutes before, if this is a thing that he's done. Yeah. He seems very comfortable with the whole situation. Yeah, he seems completely unfazed. Like, yeah, this is totally average and just a daily, you know, part of my daily life. Which is just another thing where he's completely flat the whole time. Which, again, I think is okay if you view him as a supporting character and he's kind of just there to facilitate her journey. Yeah. You know, introducing her to all these you know, fine clothes and fine foods and the opera. I don't know. I definitely have serious reservations with both his character and how Richard Gere portrayed him. I think there's some kind of flawed messaging in the movie. Like, for example, she needs to get a really nice cocktail dress to go out for dinner with him so she doesn't embarrass him because her current clothes are not really cocktail and dinner worthy. And so she goes out to this swanky place and they refuse to serve her because she doesn't fit their normal clientele and they she looks poor and looks like a hooker 
And so they refuse to serve her. They're super rude to her. It's totally uncalled for. They shouldn't treat her that way. She says, hey, I have money. Later, she ends up getting to go on a whole shopping spree with Richard Gere, and they stop back at that store, and she essentially kind of shows off, look at all this stuff that I bought that you missed out on because you treated me like garbage. There's sort of a catharsis, and I feel that catharsis with her. Like, you want her to have that, but then it's at the same time, it's almost messaging like, she had money, therefore she deserved service. It's not like a treat her as a human being because she's a human being and be polite and a good person. It's kind of like, hey, this is what you missed out on. I have value because I had money. It's a very Reagan era sort yeah. of sentiment. Yeah, and so it kind of ends up getting a little bit mixed up there. And I, th- I think the, the final message is both good and not so good. Yeah. Yeah, this is a very muddled movie message-wise. And it takes a really sharp turn at the end... You know, during that that classic Hollywood moment when Richard Gere is climbing her catwalk up to her apartment to say, no, I really do love you. Because this is after he's paid her, their week is over, and she's kind of going to figure out what she's going to do with her life. And then it turns into Hollywood is a magical place, and a black guy just sort of walks into frame to tell us this, and it's like... Was that the movie we were watching? I We haven't done this movie on here, but I always think of the driver that Tom Hanks has in in Joe versus the Volcano. Yeah, what a weird... Is that Ossie <laughs> Davis that plays that role? Yeah. Well, there's a lot of weird things going on in Joe versus the Volcano. We're going to need to tackle that one of these days. A romantic comedy that ends in volcano genocide. <laughs> oh, God, that's a loaded movie. But anyway, it has the magic black man that gives you great advice. (laughs) As you do. One of the... Okay, so we keep complaining about Richard Gere. Their relationship, it's all the interest is just like, for me, is in her and on her side. But one of the relationships that we haven't talked about in this movie is Julie Roberts and Hector Elizondo. Who... I will say, for all my criticisms of this movie, I really enjoy Hector Elizondo's character and his performance. I mean, I love him because I always loved him in The Princess Diaries. He plays kind of a similar role where he's the sort of sweet guy that keeps you from going insane and embarrassing yourself and helps you, you know learn to be presentable. He, he kind of plays a similar role in The Princess Diaries, and it's funny because Gary Marshall definitely shows a lot of loyalty in using him. There, there are three actors that are in this film that are used again in The Princess Diaries. Hector Elizondo, Larry Miller, and then a third guy who plays a waiter, I believe in both films, and has the same line in both films. Yeah, most of the movie is set at the Beverly Wilshire Hotel in Beverly Hills, and Hector Elizondo plays the hotel manager who knows that something's going on up in that penthouse, but instead of being like Tim Curry in Home Alone 2, where his, he's a villain and he's really just trying to fuck everything up for Julia Roberts, he's actually, like, I think of him as, if this is a Cinderella story then he is like the fairy godmother. Like he's, oh, yeah, totally. He's showing her which forks to use at dinner and how he... to dress. And it's like a finishing school that he's running out yeah. of the hotel just for Julia Roberts. He doesn't show her how to dress, but he's the one that makes the contact for her to get that beautiful dress so that she, after she's treated like garbage, like he looks at her and sees 
a human being. Like, he tries to protect his hotel. Like, he wants to class her up to protect the hotel's image, partly. But I think he also just kind of feels a human connection with her. And he's such a great actor, you can kind of see that. And it's just like, when I watch this, I'm more interested and charmed by their relationship than by her relationship with Richard Gere. I would agree. And that's not to say that Richard Gere and Julia Roberts don't have chemistry. I think they do. They they sizzle in the bed. I just think and that... And on the piano. Oh, yeah. The piano scene is very odd. But I guess iconic for this movie? I will say, though, that the relationship between Julia Roberts and Hector Elizondo is just so endearing, especially because it is set up to be sort of a Home Alone 2 type thing, where it's like, uh-oh, she's being called into the manager's office. <laughs> He knows what's going on. She's been ordering all that room service. Okay, so we've said that this was sanitized and that they disnified it, but there is a very dark and upsetting scene in this. Yeah, the, towards the end, um, I won't say out of the blue because we've seen... They kind of set this up. There's a... This is between, uh, I keep wanting to say George. This is between Jason Alexander and Julia Roberts' characters. Earlier in the movie, when they first meet, he finds out from Richard Gere that she's being, she's essentially a paid escort. And so he comes on to her, and she's extremely uncomfortable, and he's kind of touching her and talking about a time when they might meet again. And he could partake of her services. Worth noting really quick that Jason Alexander is the only person in Richard Gere's orbit who has sort of, he sort of let him in on the secret that she's a prostitute. Yeah, he hasn't been going around and blabbing this to everybody. He kind of privately tells Jason Alexander because Jason Alexander is super paranoid and just a crappy, creepy person. And thinks that she is some kind of spy from a business enemy to kill their deal for this Navy shipyard building <laughs> business, whatever it is. And at the end of the film, he attempts to rape her. And it's yeah. the most shocking thing to happen in the entire film. It's I would horrifying say. and just, just, it's just gross. Like, I feel gross and dirty after seeing that. It's upsetting. Especially because it's George. Oh. <laughs> No, it, but it's just, it's so real, and she plays it so well, and I mean, he does it really well, where you, you just feel so afraid and upset for her, and it's very, you can see that it's very traumatizing for her character, and it, it, and it is that moment that she has with Richard Gere where he comes in and beats the shit out of him. So you can see where his alliances really are, and that he doesn't see her as this thing that can be used. Whereas Jason Alexander clearly doesn't see her as a full human being that he should respect. And so that was something that I thought was interesting for this film to have have been so careful and cleaned up so many other aspects of this life. But for them to really kind of address this idea of men and other people not necessarily recognizing the boundaries of people who do what she does for a living. Although ironically, in trying to make a comment about possessiveness George's or excuse me Jason Alexander's idea that I can possess you at any time because you're a prostitute mm -hmm. and Richard Gere it's mostly a moment to yeah. break up their friendship because Jason Alexander is yeah. the sort of the antagonist of the movie in some ways mm -hmm. but in trying to make this statement Richard Gere himself is 
very possessive of her. That's a really great point because I think it's it's he has to jump in and protect her and essentially establish his own ownership and claim over her. I mean, it's great that a rape is prevented, but it's also a very, like, alpha male chest-beating moment. Like, he is able to submit him through violence and yeah. get him out of the apartment. And, and you want to see him beaten up. And there, Yeah, and it's definitely, like, another sort of cathartic moment like the shopping scene that you're talking about where she tells up you know she tells off the store that wouldn't serve her when she wasn't dressed appropriately but like that one it does have that sort of bitter aftertaste when you think about kind of the messaging behind it and the other implications of it yeah Yeah. it's such a shocking moment for such a for up to this point such a sweet movie a movie that managed to be sweet even though they talked about somebody dying and being pulled out of a dumpster toward the beginning of and it. And even that is sort of played for laughs. And the detective, yeah. they, they cast Hank Azaria to play the detective in that scene, which sort of is a tip-off that, hey, this is sort of a, this is like coloring the skid row, basically. Yeah. All right, Sean, this was your movie. <laughs> I think we already know how you feel. But do you buy it, rent it, or tape over it? I honestly am a little torn because... I feel like, as a piece of pop culture, this is a very important movie for America at this time. You know, I mean, it was an $11 million budget, and it grossed over $400 million worldwide. I feel like it was a very iconic movie in a lot of different ways. And I have to say that I enjoyed it while I was watching it. It's, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's clearly dark subject matter that has been disney so it's a very light, easy watch. Like, you could, you know, you wouldn't turn the channel if you saw this on TV at a hotel or, in your case, the gym. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I'd have to say it's a tape over it just because there's so many problems with it. I think that it could never really escape from the fact that it's clearly something much darker. That not, not that not necessarily that that would have been a good film. I don't know what a Werner Herzog Pretty Woman would have looked like, yeah. but I do feel like it would have been a more interesting film and with better developed characters. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do, if you're interested in movies of this time, I think in a way it is essential, particularly Julia Roberts's performance. But as a movie, it's a tape over it. What about you? I think I'm going to go with Rent It. There's a lot about this that troubles me, and there's a lot wrong with it. It it is a classic 90s rom-com, and it really kind of essentializes a lot of the different tropes of that time. I guess it's kind of an interesting time capsule in how they were able to disney the subject matter. Like, I don't We've said this over and over and over again. I know it's like a broken record, but I really don't know if this could have been made today because I think it would have ended up being the dark movie that they initially envisioned because I think audiences wouldn't quite buy the sweetness of it now. And so that makes it kind of an interesting kind of cultural artifact. Julia Roberts at some of her best, despite the complications. So I think it's worth seeing if you're really into rom-coms and thinking about gender roles and sort of how society views kind of class and cultural differences and that sort of thing. It's it's interesting for that respect, but I don't know if I really recommend it. Yeah, I'm right there with you. And and I'm definitely on the fence, but I think 
You're leaning more rent it. I'm leaning more tape over it. Yeah, but I will concede that there's parts of it that I think are great. Like this is probably the softest tape over I can give, and that there's performances I really like. I think it's a well-made film. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's well directed and it looks great, and it's it is an interesting time capsule. I just feel like as a whole, it just doesn't work. Well, because it's just such a hard sell. Like, I just don't buy the reality that they build, even though they make me want to. I'm right there with you. But watch it, if you want. All right, Lindsay, well, we're going over to your collection, or I guess doing another from your collection. It's your choice next time, is what I'm trying to say. Okay. What have you picked out from your VHS shelf? I've been waiting for this moment. We're going to do Three Men and a Baby. Whoa! (laughs) Which, I don't know how many people our age have actually seen this movie. I think a lot of people have. Oh, really? I think so. I loved this VHS when I was a kid. Just the idea of these three single guys trying to take care of a baby and all the hijinks and stuff. Like, I really loved this movie as a kid, and I have not revisited it at all. So... I'm a little concerned, but we'll see what happens. We'll see how it is. I actually feel like Three Men and a Baby is one of the movies advertised at the beginning of this tape in that montage. Is it a Touchstone movie? Yes, it is. And I think you're right. Maybe that's my inspiration. I was just caught up by the advertising. Well, if you like Pretty Woman, you'll love Three Men and a Baby. I'm pretty sure that there's nothing And Turner and Hooch and Ernest Goes to Camp. I'd like to thank Will Price for use of his song Mandatory Groove. You can find more of Will's music at soundcloud.com slash gargantulon. If you want to learn more about us and our other episodes, you can check out our website at tapeheadspodcast.com. If you have any questions or corrections, you can email us at tapeheadspodcast at gmail.com. And we'd love to hear your feedback. Please rate and review on iTunes. That's it for Tapeheads. I'm Sean. And I'm Lindsay. Until next time.